Hello, everyone. Welcome to Laser Focus. This is the Deep Dive Pop Culture Podcast from Nerdist. I'm Kyle Anderson. Uh, we are almost at the end of the year, and while we are going to do some best of uh, list and retrospective episodes uh, right before the new year this week, I'm very excited. Uh, we are going to go deep, a deep, the deepest of dives, dives, dives. the deepest of dives. <laughs> Into one of my favorite franchises, Evs, because of how weird and kind of uh, bananas uh, diverse it is in a lot of ways. Uh, the Alien franchise, or the Xenomorph franchise, or whatever you want to call it. Nobody calls it that. Um, and in order to talk about that, um, I'm joined by somebody who knows a lot about the Alien franchise, having just done research for a, an hour-long plus video, or however long it's going to end up being, um, that you will see on nerdist youtube in the in the coming weeks and days or i don't actually know what time fairly soon sometime before the end of the year um and that of course is the king of very long videos <laughs> adam murray hey buddy i i don't think i can wear that crown i'm literally like in the middle of the h-bomber guy uh that's true plagiarism four hour long uh monolith that, yeah, that's that true it's very long put out um but yes yeah, so i've been i've been neck deep in alien lore uh and alien films for the past like two months probably yeah yeah um, uh and you might think folks at home that hey there's only a you know a handful of movies can't possibly take you that long well there's heaps and gobs of comic books and um audio plays and stuff like that right something yeah, i don't know what so else you it's i should say that like in terms of like knowledge of the alien universe i have a pretty strong grip right now uh especially after doing this on like the cinematic side of everything in uh in terms of like story plots mm -hmm. all that uh for this video that will be coming out soon i researched very heavily i used the the xenopedia wiki and uh a few reddit channels as well and the people who like, I love this franchise. It's one of my favorites. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is part of this franchise. Um, the people who are doing the work on those Reddits and on those wikis for, like, what specific monitor or, like, what specific type of vehicle is labeled as and, like, where you see it and, like, specifically what kind of alien this is specifically they're doing such hard work and I just want to say thank you to them because they are the people who are actually like the geniuses are the, <laughs> the, the real masters behind this. Uh, Cause without their, their hard work, I, this video wouldn't be what it's becoming, but like, I just want to get out there and say that. And, and I mentioned in the video that's coming out too, is like we talked about the comics and novels. There's at least 20 alien universe novels, not including novelizations of the films. So there are like 20 original stories on their own. And like some of them have crossover with like the different films, but there's all the, all together. There's about 20 or so, uh, not even including comics, which is also a whole other kettle. Of yeah. Fish. Yeah. There's a lot. Um, I was just at a comic book store, a place that I go to. That is my my Zen temple is to go to comic book mm -hmm. stores, and just the amount of like collected editions of Alien and Aliens comics from, you know, who knows when, uh, from the '90s I guess is when they started. Mm -hmm. But um, there's just so many compendiums of those things, and you know, and they cross over with the 
the a- or the Predator franchise quite a bit mm-hmm. and just like yeah, all sorts of wild stuff. Is and then there's like video games too that like crossed over with a bunch of things. So Alien yeah. Predator, RoboCop and the Terminator all kind of fought each other for a while because those were all like <laughs> the big <laughs> The big, uh, you know, 80s action yeah, sci-fi the, franchises. The 80s action, incredibly violent sci-fi franchises that every studio took a look at these, saw how popular they were, and they were like, how do we make this for kids? Right. Uh, which oh, is geez. such a bizarre uh, thing, like, in terms of marketing. And, like, if you're our age and you're mid to late 30s, you probably remember RoboCop action figures and alien action figures from Kenner and all this stuff and things that were marketed to us and it's uh it's been really interesting going back and watching these especially uh with Aliens the 1986 yeah. James Cameron film the it just it's I, I guess it's nostalgia but it's just it's one of those things where I'm like I remember so much of this so vividly of just not even the movie itself but the time period of yeah. when everyone and I'm I wasn't born until I think two years later and I didn't see that movie until the early nineties. Cause my dad was a big aliens head. Uh, still is. I just don't know if he's watched aliens in the past 20 years. <laughs> I, don't, I can't say that. I can't say if he has or not. Um, but it's just a very interesting time to think back and like Terminator, especially Terminator two, right. Going into the nineties, just the, the strange rollout of these violent, uh, incredibly violent gun heavy films that were then being sold to children (laughs) is very, very funny and weird. Yeah, definitely. And like, there were so many, like, so aliens uh, was the one that was like, we're going to market this one. That was the one that had the the toy commercials that I remember. And Mm -hmm. we talked about this, um, maybe a couple weeks ago, but like Rob Paulson, was the voice of Hicks in the toy commercial. Yes, he, is. <laughs> he was I, like introducing Apone, Ripley, Hudson, and, I, and, I and I'm Hicks. Hicks. <laughs> like, it's just very silly. Pinky um, from Pinky and the Brain is the voice right. of Hicks. Um, but there, that was a period of time when there were a ton of cartoons based on like mm-hmm. quite, uh, you know, they were literally turning r-rated action movies and horror movies in some cases into cartoons freddy um, krueger had like a whole like you could buy a freddy krueger like oh yeah gi joe at caldor or kmart in like yeah. 1990 oh for sure yeah you could call him there was a phone line where you could call freddy krueger he probably wouldn't like, have called them the b word oh, but it's... these children who called but he thanks, was he was a for calling jerk <laughs> Um, I remember so many kids dressed up as Freddy Krueger mm-hmm. when I was a little kid for, you know, for Halloween. And, um, but there was like, we talked about this a little bit, go back and listen to my, uh, uh, discussion with Macon Blair a few, three, four weeks ago, three, four episodes back, um, about the toxic crusaders and how that mm-hmm. was my first like introduction to the trauma verse was a cartoon aimed at yep. children. And then I finally saw, uh, not finally, but saw a toxic <laughs> Avenger a couple years later and was terrified. It's, yeah, it's people getting weights like crushed on their skulls and yeah. gems and it's just getting it's dropped so... in acid. <laughs> but they had a robo uh, a Rambo, they had a RoboCop, they had a Rambo uh, cartoon, mm-hmm. they had a Swamp Thing cartoon which you know those comics were not necessarily f- like super R-rated but the mm-hmm. the movie that came out definitely was. Um and uh Conan, Conan had a, you know, yeah. a, a cartoon and all this stuff and so I remember all that stuff. Um and just thinking how weird it is that like 
or maybe I didn't think it was weird. I think it's weird no, in retrospect. It's very time, weird I in retrospect. Anything of it. I think I think just because it's like those were the movies being played in our house. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad absolutely loved uh, the Terminator Two: The Ride experience at Universal Studios. Oh, sure. Uh, which James Cameron directed, like the video interstitials that played on screens. Like huge fan of huge fan of that. Like so, like Aliens and Terminator or Terminator 2 specifically, were kind of like playing on a heavy rotation in my house. That might just have been the 90s in general, Mm. where those were just kind of always on TV in some way, shape, or form. Uh, But yeah, Yeah. back on it now, it is, you're like, wow, that's like the same thing with like a Starship Troopers like toy line, which does exist. There was like a kid's toy line for Starship Troopers, another intensely violent movie. (laughs) Well, interestingly enough, there was a a very controversial like toy. It wasn't a toy line. It was a toy, but for the first alien, um, it was like a big, I don't even know how probably over 12 inches tall, probably, but there was a big xenomorph toy that actually had the original like Giger look. So you could see the skull in the the front and the, like the mouth would pop out and stuff like that. And I remember, I don't remember it at the time because obviously I was, not born yet but mm-hmm. i have i have since seen the commercial and it's like kids in a room playing with the xenomorph and it's just like what a weird time that was where but there again it, it came on the heels of star wars and star yeah. wars uh as kenner proved you could make tons and tons of money merchandising these big sci-fi movies mm-hmm. and so not like 79 is a really fascinating year um, in movies in general, because that's when they were like, that was when everybody finally caught up to star Wars. They're like, we need to have tons yep. of special effects. That was the first year that had five, um, uh, nominees for best visual effects before that. It was like maybe max three. Otherwise they would just get mm-hmm. a special commendation. Like they would just be like, and the award goes to this person. There were no yeah. other nominees. <laughs> here's the person who did this, uh, amazing rear projection effect. Like, or here's someone who did amazing. Like, yeah. Uh, and like, uh, Product or production designer, not production design, but like uh, uh, like matte paintings or whatever. Yeah, like old matte thing, practical in camera effects. Yeah, um, Kubrick won his only Oscar was this mm-hmm. was a special award for uh, two thousand one, a space odyssey. That, that pen. That's right. Yeah, and um, the uh, in seventy nine. Mm-hmm. So it was in a you know the the awards that took place in nineteen eighty, but the uh, Alien was the winner. Mm-hmm. But the other nominees were Star Trek, the motion picture Moonraker, which is insane, but like it has that is the James, good the special Star effects Wars, at the end, the James Bond Star Wars. Yep. Um, uh, uh, uh the black hole, which was a Disney Disney's movie. attempt yeah. to do Star Wars, but it was based on a script that was written after 2001. So it's mm-hmm. a wild, wild, dark journey. It's into so, hell. And it's weird. And Ber- Borgnine's in it too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Borg, floating around Borgnine, Anthony Perkins, um, Maximilian Schell and Robert Forster are your are your leads in that movie. Wild. What cast. a crazy time that was. And then the, the other one, uh, the effects are great in it, but that's mm-hmm. this is definitely a one of these things is not like the other is Steven Spielberg's 1941, which is not space at all. But every other thing was space. Um, And it, it's just indicative of like none of those movies are like block. I mean, they're all blockbusters, but they none mm-hmm. of them were like kid friendly toy movies. Because no. like even Star Trek, the motion picture, which I like a lot, it's slow and dull and boring. It's slow and dull. <laughs> it's it's a good it's a good vibes kind of. It's just absolutely put it on the vibes. background, but it's, if you're gonna sit there, you're gonna fall asleep. It's a screensaver you're, of a you're movie. Taking a nap during that movie at one point. Yeah, 
Um, but it's got a great Jared Goldsmith score and it's mm-hmm. got, you know, as does Alien. Um, yes, interesting. I, I like the the parallel there. We'll, we'll get into these movies individually and everything like that. But um, Jerry Goldsmith did the score for uh, Star Trek, the motion picture and Alien. Great, you know, mm-hmm. uh, scores. And then Star Trek Two and Aliens, the score was done by James Horner. So they were just Horner. like, yep. let's just, I'll just keep doing anything Goldsmith doesn't want to do. I'll do the sequel too. <laughs> That's how he's made a career. It's true. Um, James Horner is a very, very, is a great composer. That was yeah. just a, an easy joke on James Horner. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, so like, do you remember, the, so was Aliens the first of the movies you saw? Yeah, because I know my dad showed my sister the chestburster scene from alien sorry about mm. that uh when she was way too little and i think that by the time because it came out 86 mm-hmm. i was born a, a short two years after that um so by the time it was revolving in our house it was probably on tv by that time that i was like having these memories of seeing it so it's probably like early 1990s that it was on tv and i mean you also just like it's kind of weird how ubiquitous james cameron was like from like since from like terminator from essentially aliens to like true lies i would say yeah like he kind of like ruled the space Mm -hmm. uh like I'm trying to think of what was his follow up after True Lies. Is well, that, that was Titanic? Uh, Ever hear of Titanic? It? Well, yeah. So never mind. No, never mind. <laughs> Titanic. Yeah. I mean, he was everywhere. He was everywhere. Yeah. So it was kind of just like he was just kind of one of those. And when Titanic played in our house all the fucking time, we had the my sisters had the two VHS set mm-hmm. uh, that you needed to get because the movie was so long. Um, so we had that in our house with the special features and everything. So like it was uh, maybe it's just our house, but James Cameron apparently had a heavy grip on the Murray household. Uh, through most of the 90s um yeah i'm trying to think i don't i don't think i actually saw any of the alien movies when i was a kid i think it was when i was in high school and or early college that i saw any of them i i remember vividly the trailers for alien 3 because they had mm-hmm. that uh so that was 90 what 91 that's 91 yes um the shot of the xenomorph like face up close next to ripley's bald head yeah the, i remember uh, that or, sorry, i got it correct it was 92 sorry 92 okay yeah 1992 i was like that's wrong when i said it but yeah um so i was eight years old and so mm-hmm. obviously that imprinted heavily on my on my brain i was afraid of everything when i was a kid um but mostly because i had hardly seen any scare anything actually scary i hadn't seen mm-hmm. yet i was only going off of trailers which were everywhere they did not there was absolutely no distinction between what trailer should we show during children's hours and and during no. adult hours cuz i saw every trailer for every horror yep. movie it's um, Sydney Pollock's the firm yeah like just like, <laughs> Cruise, Gene why <laughs> why are they showing this on nickelodeon at one in the <laughs> afternoon and yet they are um so yeah i don't really remember if i had seen i think i maybe had seen one or two of them when uh alien resurrection came out in 2002 because i went to go see that in the theaters Mm -hmm. um uh and it's 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 fascinating to look at at least the first four because obviously ridley scott came back but yeah you have four movies by four different filmmakers and they are all completely different vibes Mm -hmm. Um, you have an act like a straight up horror movie 
you have, uh, you know, with these kind of the, the overarching thing in all of them is this kind of like techno bureaucracy, like future, the the awful late, late, I think I called in the video late, 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 late stage capitalism. Yeah. Where it's just (laughs) the company. Yeah. It's the company and it's like everything in privatized space is essentially like just a big mansion. They'll burn you down in for the money. Like it doesn't really people and lives are expendable. Yeah. But I think, and Ridley even says at the, at, towards the end of alien cubed uh, or alien three, if you prefer that um, <laughs> she goes, when she's uh, addressing the man who is supposedly the real Bishop, right? Uh, Michael Bishop. And she goes, you're just another one of them from the fucking company. Like, so that's a perfect uh, distillation of Wayland Jutani. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, they have a name. Uh, mm-hmm. We, we at that point didn't need to know anybody. Um, and yet uh, we didn't know, you know who anybody was. Uh, in in the company, but obviously they did that in Prometheus and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. um, so yeah, you have basically a gothic like a haunted mansion in space. Um, yep. Then you have a straight up action movie. Um, yeah. w- maybe one of the best action movies ever made. I I will even remove the word maybe from that. Definitely <laughs> one of the best action movies ever made. Yeah. And you have Alien Three, which is sort of uh, an infamous mess because of you know all the all the infighting behind the scenes and how. Fox was just trying to walk all over David Fincher and all that yeah. stuff. But you have this weird kind of prison escape movie ultimately is what mm-hmm. it is. And then you have alien four, which is a weird French like farce. <laughs> it's so bizarre. That's like, that's, uh, and that's the one I've been rewatching the most recently because there's times in that where I'm just like, wait, when, what happened again yeah. in that movie? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because it is, there are parts of that movie. That I just find truly enjoyable. Like there's, yeah great visuals i think uh the not serenity crew that joss whedon wrote into this movie right as like uh as a a launching pad for firefly uh, (laughs) are pretty great because you got like michael wincott's in there um you got winona you have uh perlman who's doing great dominic pinion uh who i love a french character actor who is in all of jean-pierre genet's movies yeah and uh, uh, he's not one of the crew, but Leland Orser is doing some good work in that movie. Leland Orser is great. Uh, you got Dan Hedaya is in that movie. Oh, that's right. Dan oh, yeah, he's like the the scummy. He's the, he's the big major domo yeah. like, general they have. And there's just a fantastic scene where Dan Hedaya wakes up in his like space bed and you see all of the hair across his shoulders. That <laughs> if, you, if you shaved it, you could make an entire other tank top for him to wear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love Dan Hedaya. Yeah, yeah, gotta love Dan Hedaya. Uh, uh, we stand a short king. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and, they're all they all bring something. They all bring something different to the table. Is the other thing that I really like about mm-hmm. uh, at least the first four, because Prometheus and Covenant are kind of like maybe two heads of the same coin in some ways. And we'll get I to think that. so. I think so. They definitely feel, and they definitely they're doing. We'll get into those. I think those deserve their own kind of separate. Mm-hmm. I mean, any of these could, but like, yeah. Um, it's hard to lump those in as alien movies. I obviously know like Covenant is an eight, like it straight up says alien covenant. They're not, yeah. they're not beating around the bush. It the wasn't way that Prometheus, Prometheus was. when yeah. they tried like, so hard to act like this isn't an alien movie. And then it's like the first two things they put out as like, this is also Prometheus came out in this very interesting year uh, in 2012 when like 
we'll, we'll talk about that later. We can't get caught up in Prometheus social media. We can't, posts. Yeah, we can't do it yet. Although that <laughs> yeah. is really fascinating. I do love the, yeah. the viral marketing for that. Okay. So let's start with alien. Um, I think alien is a masterpiece. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll be the first to say it. No, that's, it's a very well-known, everybody thinks it. Um, this is the movie that I prefer the most of the group. I think there's strengths and weaknesses of, in all the movies, but I think that alien for me is like the best distillation of the concept. Obviously the initial script was called start the star beast, mm-hmm. which is a ridiculous, I mean, uh, Dr. Who fans will know that that is now the episode, a name of an episode, but, um, it was very smart of Walter Hill and, and, um, David Geiler, right. When they took over, yes. Uh, or they took over from they took so the original alien script was written by Dan O'Bannon, yeah. Uh, and then this with a story by credit by Ronald's uh, Shushit, yeah, Shushit, I think, Shushit. Uh, and Dan O'Bannon also famously worked with uh, John Carpenter on uh, uh, Dark Star, right? They're kind of student, student, they were student filmmakers, yeah, at the time. Um, and Dan O'Bannon went on to do a lot of, I mean, he did return of the living dead. He yeah. did, um, one of my favorite Lovecraft adaptations, the resurrected, yes, um, yeah. starring Chris Sarandon, Chris which Saran- is, starring two Chris Sarandons. Yeah. That's what everyone wants is two Chris Sarandons. <laughs> I love two Chris Sarandons. Um, but yeah, Dan O'Bannon has a pretty, he, I believe he has since passed years, years, years ago. He, yeah. He died a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but he has a pretty, uh, incredible and important resume like throughout mm-hmm. film history just also despite him being a, a notorious kind of a prick um like, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. definitely true yeah um but then when walter hill and uh david guyler kind of came on board as producers and they rewrote some stuff and it, mm-hmm. the, the actual authorship of the first alien is is always been in question because yeah. everybody wants to take full credit for everything um but it was it was under their stewardship that it kind of became a more like a B movie concept with a very A kind of uh, approach. Yeah, um, it's very serious, but not to the detriment of the scares or the monster or anything like that. It, mm-hmm. it just takes everything very seriously. Like the Star Beast would have been a sillier movie than yeah. Alien. Um, and then of course you get Ridley Scott, who is mm-hmm. at that point had only made the duelists, which is not a bad he, movie, but no, he was, um, uh, he was a longtime commercial director, yeah. uh, throughout his twenties and did kind of, kind of weirdly similar to like how Fincher came up. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, both the Scott brothers like cut their teeth in commercials, which if you look at like Tony and Ridley Scott stuff, especially in the eighties when they're coming yeah. out, it's, uh, it's all gorgeous. Like it's just absolutely stunning. Like because they've developed their eye through making commercials for so long. And I think that might be a, a, a thing that people bring up when they're discussing like Ridley Scott and Tony Scott movies, if they're actually directors with some type of interiority into their stories, or if they are just there to like, if someone like Ridley, cause he does have such a wide and varied resume now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, does he, is he just making something look pretty or is he making something good? I think he's a, an incredible director, but there are people out there who think that, uh, and like, again, he has like his hits and misses, but yeah, that's the that's just kind of where they the where they came from the Scott brothers. I I think the the strength and also the weakness of Ridley Scott is that he thinks he can turn anything, and maybe he doesn't say this like outright, but just like mm-hmm. to him, he's like, "There's no, there's nothing that I can't direct." Basically, like yeah. I I can do and make it look good and have it you know feel like a movie. Like his movies are yeah. very big in a lot of ways. 
But I think the downside of that is uh, like his movies live and die on whether it's a good script or not. And him being attached does not necessarily mean it's going to be a good script or a good yes. story or anything like that. As mm-hmm. we saw with the counselor, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> um, a tribute to his late brother. Yeah. Just a terrible, terrible script. I will just, say, go watch the counselor though, because it is, there is some entertaining stuff in the counselor. Oh, it's certainly entertaining. It's, entertaining. it's just, it just, it made me feel terrible. It's like, good. I mean, it's a Cormac McCarthy script. Yes. So obviously everything is very dour, but it's just like, it's so weird. And if, yeah, if you can figure out what accent Cameron Diaz is doing in the counselor, uh, you win, you win a gift certificate. And it was different because, she's was because she, she dumps herself through the entire movie. So I believe <laughs> what she did was, she do initially? I don't know. She was doing one accent and then they were like, that's too weird. And she's like, don't worry, I've got it solved and did a weirder accent on top of it. Yeah, like still weird, like Colombian. I, I think she's know, trying like, to be Colombian, yeah, because it's like yeah. about drug, drug it smuggler and everything. Um, no, <laughs> it truly does not. Um, but I think, I mean, there's he has a. I think he has, you know, uh, I haven't done like a full count. There's at least five amazing Ridley oh, Scott yeah. movies. I've, I've maybe more than that, but at least probably five. more. I did like. Um, I've been in like uh, Ridley Hole, and I've kind of been jumping back and forth. And the, just the other day, I threw on like American Gangster. Mm-hmm. Which is not great. Um, I'd say it's like a solid C, like middle of the road, like a C, C minus maybe. Right. Um, and I think uh, something I realized about Ridley is he likes to do crime movies. He's only made like two good ones, but it feels like a genre he just really likes to hang out in. Um, yeah. Which feels that stuff feels tremendously different from the way he handles science fiction and especially historical dramas. Uh, but yeah, he's got, he's got a wide and vast resume uh, that started basically with, was sorry, basically with alien. Yeah. If not for alien, he, I mean, probably when, and what I think is really interesting too, is that like he made movies after alien, obviously yeah. he, he also kept doing music videos. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until, Basically, he was like 60 years old that he was like, I'm going to make a movie every other year. <laughs> Just yeah. like He has worked nonstop since 2000. And yet before 2000, he made a few movies. Yeah, he was um, kind of jumping. He was like Thelma and Louise, which people kind of he, he did a lot of movies that people don't really, I think, realize are his. Like if yeah. I told you Thelma and Louise or um, uh, what was the other one recently? Uh, Black Rain. Like the Michael Douglas Yakuza movie Black Rain. Right. Like if I told you those were directed by Ridley Scott, you'd be like, nah, they're, no, they're not. Yeah, they they're can't like, be. No, yeah, they are. <laughs> they were both in the same kind of like era of Ridley Scott. Uh, and then yeah, I think Gladiator was like the 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 kicker where he was. That like, was I'm... the kicker for sure because yeah. like he did Thelma and Louise in '91, mm-hmm. um, and then he did 1492 Conquest of Paradise, which was a a pretty hefty flop and then white mm-hmm. squall which didn't do much and then gi jane which nobody likes nobody and then likes. he was and huge then, though i think it was really huge it was huge. a that was a huge move because it was a big talk of the town that um, to me more shaved her head right <laughs> and like got super jacked for that yeah and that's another one you would never know that like i could never tell you i could never pull gi jane and i've seen all of his movies and i if someone was like gi jane director right now i'd be like ah Peter Hyams? I don't know. Like <laughs> that seems like yeah. That's that's the caliber of name that you would kind of And I love Peter Hyams. He sure. shoots his own stuff. He's great. Or he shot his own stuff. I'm not sure if he's still with us. Uh RIP, RI possible. Um <laughs> 
but yeah, Gladiator he got a no- an Oscar nomination for and didn't win, but everyone was kind of like he should have won. He should have won. For that. Everyone was all in on Gladiator. That and they should have been. It's a good movie. <laughs> um, and then he did Hannibal, Black Hawk Down, Matchstick Men, Kingdom of Heaven, um, A Good Year, American Gangster, Body of Lies, Robin Hood, Prometheus, The Counselor. Uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings, The Martian, Alien Covenant, All the Money in the World, uh, uh, The Last Duel, House of Gucci, and now Napoleon. And that was all, I mean, that's so many movies. In, so many in, movies. Like, he's he's eclipsed his his prior to Gladiator um, output by a lot. Like, yeah. consider, like, maybe tripled it. Um, and not all of those movies are good, but, like, The Martian is excellent. Martian's and, like, great. Um, I, I actually think American gangster is pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. black it's Hawk not, down is amazing. Black Hawk down's amazing. Uh, what else he got? What else was in there? Uh, well, Exodus then he did like the stuff mask. like matchstick men in a good year, which are not, they just don't feel like Ridley Scott movies. <laughs> no, but, like, but like nothing feels like a Ridley match, Scott movie. I like matchstick men popped up on, cause they're doing con games on criterion channel and that popped up and I scrolled by, I was like, right. Ridley Scott. This is somehow not like a Jason Reitman movie. Right. Yeah, and he did that right after uh, <laughs> Gladiator, Gladiator, Hannibal, Black Hawk Down, and then, of course, Matchstick Men. <laughs> like, yeah. what a strange next step. Like, again, into my thing, where he likes to do crime movies, but he's not good at them. Matchstick Men, probably his second best crime movie. And then if you look at Hannibal, which is kind of a crime movie interwoven with a horror film, like right. that movie is a just absolute swamp. Like that movie is un. un- like you don't want to get stuck in there. It's just such a bad time across the board. Yeah. It bummed me out. And I think it was like very telling at the time that Jodie Foster did not want to be in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, Incredibly telling. Yeah. And like, why wouldn't she come back and got Anthony Hopkins back and all this stuff. And she, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we can't spend all this much time on Ridley Scott, but all of that is know. to say we'll be back that, to him in a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. We'll come back for sure. Um, uh, Alien, I think, is is like, you know, small cast. Uh, the, the the aspect of Alien that it makes it so great is that he shoots it. Everything is real. Like he built, you know, the sets are real. It's blue collar in space, which is obviously what everybody says about it. And it's um, he shoots it kind of documentary style or like fly on the wall style. And I think that's a really fascinating way to shoot a, an alien monster movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the. There's so much, and this is maybe, maybe he's mad at that. Maybe he'll be mad at this. I, cause clearly Ridley Scott is listening. He has all, he has the time. Of course. Um, yes. With all the movies he's making with his, well, what's his on his docket next? Uh, I'll look that up while you're talking. Uh, his, uh, I, I genuinely enjoy the theatrical cut of alien. I think a little bit more than I think the so. Director's cut. Cause it's yeah. just, 12 more additional minutes of stuff that's added in there. And I believe, I feel like the only thing I would, like you say, fly on the wall stuff. The thing I would keep is, uh, the scene between Lambert and Ripley when Ripley comes down into the observation room outside the med bay. And cause it gets, uh, and Lambert immediately like attacks her because Ripley was like, don't let them back on this ship. You can't let them back right. on. And it's like stuff like that, where it like pushes characters a little bit farther. Uh, I think works Um, the stuff of like Dallas, like trapped in the goo, like looks cool, but it's like, what, what do we, what, I don't know. Um, It's, it's, 
there's so much of it that is. I think Ian Holm might be the most upsetting thing about that movie, <laughs> about Alien, even more outside of the xenomorph itself. Yeah. Um, well, because that like it, the xenomorph is the monster. Yeah. But the company is the villain and that the company is, you know, that that scene where Ripley is like pleading to the computer and it just says <laughs> crew expendable and she like gets yep. so angry or whatever. And it's just in this room. She can't do anything about it. This She's room. so separate from it. And Ash kind of represents the company. He is he's the yeah. mole on the inside. He's he's literally the uh, inhuman like. Uh, representative of this corporate entity and when he tries to shove the magazine down her throat <laughs> and then she whacks him in the head and his head kind of falls off and he goes <laughs> like it, it's, the, it's that is the scariest part of the movie yeah. or one of the scariest parts of the movie I mean because you're and even when you're expecting I mean a lot of the things this movie does is you've seen a hundred times when you're expecting right, sure the the obvious things you're coming to expect like the chest burster scene or like the head knocking off it still hits like there's still yeah. it's still so done practically beautifully like the the work behind all this stuff behind the chest burster scene and also like the stuff where it's like kind of isolating the cast so they're not exactly sure what's going to happen and getting those kinds of reactions but it's the craft that goes into these and like this, the Xenomorph like design itself and Giger's design and the suits and like all of it works so well is what I think makes it work. Like happens. Cause like when, um, when Parker hits Ash with the fire extinguisher and his head comes off, it's so still so brutal. Yeah. And it's not a situation where you can tell it's like, Oh, they just put an extended like torso on this person. <laughs> it it's, incredibly done and it's effective because it you do it does still give you that thing of how did they do that and you can go and watch any behind the scenes special features and they will tell you how they did that like why does the xenomorph move so quickly across the table it was a guy on a skateboard underneath the table that they were pulling on a rope like to move him across the, the set like that um but i think and i think that's something that a lot of these movies have in spades that still make them uh really effective is they don't have the not a lot of them have the cgi like uh kind of aging issue that you expect no absolutely not yeah i think that that's you know um a uh a big th like that's a reason that they're so good and why like they went out of their way to try to make prometheus and um alien covenant look as good as those mm -hmm. original movies even though they use a ton of CGI. It's and like they're great. They did make beautiful sets for those movies. They yeah, like the absolutely. Prometheus sets are nuts. They're so good and so cool yeah. looking. Um, and I think that what's what's so fascinating about like the the juxtaposition between so seven years later they make mm -hmm. Aliens, and there's a really fascinating story to be had about you know why it took so long for them to make a sequel and all that stuff, mm -hmm. which we don't have time to get into. James Cameron, short long story short, James Cameron walked into a room, went yeah. up to a chalkboard, wrote out the word alien, presented the word to the room, and then wrote S. So it said aliens, then put two lines through it to make a dollar sign. That was legitimately uh or supposedly the the James Cameron pitch for the sequel. Uh coming off of Terminator. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. <laughs> a super low budget movie that made crap tons of money. <laughs> yes. Um and they they gave him the money. <laughs> they gave him it's the the thing I love about aliens, um, and you can you can see it on screen too, but they gave him the money and he it's 
James Cameron came from a class of, and this is probably just, I'll do this really quickly, but for people who don't know where he came from, he came from a class of filmmakers uh, that were basically born out of the Roger Corman school of filmmaking. Right. Roger Corman, still with us, still a legend. Uh, thank you for your service. Um, was a very, very thrifty, I'll say, uh, movie producer who has produced countless films into the mid to high hundreds. I think at this point, like just so Um, many movies. Yeah. And Cameron was one of those guys who worked on stuff like for was like planet, the galaxy of terror is like his, yeah, he did the, um, he was special um, effects on that. He did special effects effects. for galaxy of terror. Um, he did, uh, amazing special effects for, uh, battle beyond the stars, which is one of my favorite. He's a uh, he did he directed Piranha Two: The Spawning, right? That's right. Yeah, that was that was a Cameron under Corman. Um, so, but James Cameron essentially became a special effects artist, like on sets of these very low budget genre movies, and he took that and just kind of put it on steroids. And so you watch something like the the crash scene when the xenomorph gets uh uh pharaoh is that character's name the the pilot that wears aviators in outer space um (laughs) yeah i think so when it kills her and the ship comes crashing right before the whole game over man it's like and it's just like stuff in the background when they're like going through the elevator and it's just like i know that so much of these are miniatures and so much Mm -hmm. of these are just simple very like common effects that were then blown up on this like massive like Hollywood scale. And it's very just fun to see because you can like look at it and be like, I know what that is. Or if you have any like art department or like design background, you can like kind of go through aliens uh, and find like really enjoyable things like, oh, this was definitely used with like a matte. That's a matte painting there. Um, like the uh, the the sequence or the scene where you're meeting all of the Marines uh, after they get out of cryo mm-hmm. and there's this beautiful pan across this hangar, and it's just this fantastic matte painting. And like, you can still see the seams of it too. Yeah. Like as it moves, but you're just like, I don't fucking care about that. Let's go talk to all these Marines who are like some of the best film characters ever. Yeah. So I, here's my thing about aliens. I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it's super great. I, I think the theatrical cut is far superior to the, uh, really? Yeah, I don't need to spend cut. 25 minutes on LV426 at the beginning. It's more, it's much more scary, I think, to go mm-hmm. to to them to just arrive on the planet and be like, oh man, it is messed up here. Let's figure out what's going on. Mm. Like, um, yeah, so that's my and and also like we we can we can get all this stuff with Ridley or uh, Ripley. We don't need to have we don't need to belabor the fact that she um I don't know. Like, I understand that that kind of reinforces the mother daughter, like surrogate mother kind of yeah. uh, aspect of it, but, and maybe keep that stuff, but like, we don't need that long on LV 426 uh, is like my the, opinion with the surveyor family. Yeah. And... The surveyor family and stuff. We get enough of that just by when they <laughs> land and there's like devastation. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know. I like that. I like the guy in that scene. Uh, the guy who's like, just looks like every, anyone's dad who worked, like a simple like middle management job yeah it was just on this horrible moon uh (laughs) i don't know i think that might be the charming the thing i find charming about it is you have all these very blue collar people who are going about their blue collar jobs while in space on a moon that's uh used to be that is a home for a whole race of deadly aliens i don't i think i think that's maybe one of cameron's strengths is getting across character 
archetypes in such a quick amount of time uh, because it's like when you, especially like the Marine, like the Marines, like I think you get an idea of the Marines in a, in very quick succession. It's like you pick up how cool Hicks is. Cause he's asleep when they're, uh, when they're doing the drop, when they're doing the drop ship onto the, onto the moon, you have Hudson immediately, like who is the clearly like the clown of the group. You have Jake and Vasquez who are just clearly so into each other and slapping each other all the time. Uh, like, um, a pone who gets out of cryo and immediately puts a cigar into his mouth. Yeah, an already old and chewed up <laughs> cigar. Already, like he went to sleep and he went to hypersleep with it in his hand. So as soon as he woke up, he could put it right back into his mouth. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. However, it is, as with all James Cameron movies, uh, painfully unsubtle. Um, which is fine. Like a movie like this doesn't need to be subtle. Like it is a big, it is a big hammer of a movie that Mm -hmm. hits you over the head with look how cool all this stuff is. Um, now there's 50 aliens attacking Mm -hmm. at all times and there's a queen and like all of that stuff is as iconic as movies get like, like basically from when they first get to the, you know, after the drop and everything and they get to the place and you know, the, the light shines up and you just see the aliens crawling on the ceiling and everything like that until the end of the movie. It is the best movie ever made. Like it's, it's truly (laughs) so exciting. And it has a really great Paul Reiser performance. (laughs) Paul Reiser is so good as Carter Burke. Yeah. Paul Reiser as Carter Burke is one of the like best unsung scumbag performances. I don't know if it's unsung, but we need to re-examine like, uh, how people play corporate ghouls. Yeah, because uh, he seems like the nicest guy he in seems the entire like the world. Nicest guy, he flirts with her by answering his video phone shirtless. <laughs> I know that move. We all know that move. Oh, I just happened to be sleeping here shirtless. My video phone went off. But yeah, Carter Burke, uh, great character. Yeah. Um, sidebar: I there was a guy I knew in college who would invite people over to his house, and then when you'd <laughs> knock on the door, his, his apartment. When we we're mm. in college. Um when you'd knock on the door, he would uh, answer it in a towel and just be like, Hey, I just got out of the shower. It's like, you knew we were coming. <laughs> what is the matter with you? This was, that was like his move. It's like, For, dude, you're why? so weird. There might be hot girls coming over with They'll us. They'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. Yeah. Where I'm standing in front of you. <laughs> I can, I can hear you and see you. And I wish I had gone home. Um, um, anyway, but yeah, so I, and, and obviously like that, the, uh, uh, the Bill Paxton uh, performance the, is big. <laughs> that's that's. The, I mean, yeah, I love the Bill. I love Hudson. Of um, course. That's the other thing I've 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 learned to deeply miss from going through these movies. And he's only in the one. Um, but man, do we need Bill Paxton back? <laughs> I know. We, we, I recently watched rewatched. I'd seen them both mm-hmm. before, but I recently rewatched. Uh, frailty, which he directed, Great and movie. one false move, and he's so good Fantastic. in both of them. He's so good. He's amazing. Uh, there's just so much. He's so charming every time, even if he's playing like a per- character like Hudson, that's just this loudmouth idiot. Yeah, with a soul patch. Like every, he was able to just like in like inject so many of his characters with like just from what I know, he was a a very lovely human being as well. And I feel like that really comes across in a lot of his characters because he was always very human and relatable. Even if he was playing like a 
dumb dipshit like was it chet in yeah chet and weird science which boy have you watched weird science in the last 25 years it doesn't hold up could not possibly hold up (laughs) oh my gosh i watched it they put i think arrow video put out a special edition maybe like three four years ago and i watched it and it was just like because i'd only ever seen it on tv Mm -hmm. and i watched it was just like oh no there's so much bad in this yeah (laughs) it is Oh, uh, but aliens is aliens is beautiful. It's a masterpiece. It yes. ends on a, it, it also ends on a beautiful note. It ends on like a really lovely, uh, kind of happy ending only mm-hmm. to then five years later, have that completely decimated, uh, uh yeah. by Fox. <laughs> they, they truly did. So uh, alien one masterpiece, alien mm-hmm. two masterpiece in completely different ways. Aliens, obviously I know mm-hmm. that's what it's called, not alien two uh on earth which is a an italian <laughs> ripoff movie have you ever seen that no it's i mean it's terrible but it's gotta, gotta it's a low budget the... the gall to to call it <laughs> alien 2 <laughs> it's Every... absurd um and then but i think to... every go ahead sorry oh no i was gonna say aliens masterpiece alien yes. masterpiece and then you get to alien 3 which everything after that i think is flawed at best uh, I not like unenjoyable a, just flawed. no i think and so alien 3 which was directed by david fincher and i think a, who gets the credit on the screenplay was that walter and was that walter I think hill that might have been walter let me I'll, I'll bring that i should have that up already but yes, i don't I, so but the the and the plan for alien 3 went through like five not five but like a handful oh, yeah. of different like scripts before it was guyler and hill like taking full story screenwriting uh, credit. No, Vincent Ward. Vincent, Vincent oh, Ward so he gets... did get his credit. Okay. Yeah. The Australian director Vincent Ward. So I guess the the well, so the Vincent well, he got Ward story credit. Okay. Because the Vincent um, Ward script... Tyler Hill and Ferguson got screenplay credit. There uh, we go. Larry Ferguson. Yeah. Uh, got the Vincent Ward script. So there was originally a script by uh. The neuromancer is Simon. No, William Gibson. Who's wrote neuromancer? I always get Simon Gibson. Uh, William and... Gibson. Yeah. I don't yeah. know who Simon Gibson is, but William Gibson. Wrote Simon Gibson might be uh, some weird musician. Uh, William Gibson, the author of Neuromancer and Giant Mnemonic, and a lot like kind of like one of the uh, literary fathers of cyberpunk, basically, mm-hmm. uh, wrote a version that was going to be more focused on Hicks, actually, post uh, the Sulaco. Like they get separated from what I believe. I've read a good, you can read it online, I read a good chunk of it. Um, and then Hicks ends up pretty much in the middle of a war between space communists and space capitalists in like a mall planet uh, where they're both trying to create their own xenomorph armies. Uh, and it's very like the the communist army is like calling it like property. Like they, they like recognize like the xenomorphs as property in, t- in terms of like uh, their whole outlook in, against like Wayland and capitalism and how it's like clearly just like a weapon for them. Uh, and then that script didn't happen. And then Vincent Ward came through and had an idea. He was like, what about, what if Ripley lands on a planet of monks who have completely rejected technology and have left earth to go live a technology free life in a planet that's made entirely of wood. Like the entire planet was going to be, I was I like I I was looking at the the art department sketches like uh for yesterday and it was essentially going to be just a giant sphere that on the inside was like 
huge, grand wooden cathedrals, like these big, beautiful archways, this whole stunning, uh, like wooden floating space station, basically. And then I think the producers looked at it and they were like, this is going to cost billions of dollars just to do art, like to make the sets for this. It's going to cost so much money for us to even do this at all. Uh, and so like that wooden planet thing was script, but like the, the monks, the brotherhood of monks that was on the planet kind of stuck around and landed in alien three in, in some ways, like some parts of that kind of, cause they're not monks, they're prisoners on this smelting factory on fury one, six, one, which alien three opens, um, everyone besides Ripley dies. Uh, the Salako that they escape on at the end of aliens has a hidden xenomorph egg on it. That, just screws everything up. Uh, their their pods get jettisoned. Like I think, uh, and there's also two versions of. I'm sorry, I'm just rambling now. There's two versions of Alien Three. I like talking about Alien Three. Uh, there's two versions of Alien Three or two cuts. There is the theatrical cut, um, and then there is the assembly cut that the editors did. And David Fincher, who directed it, had has had no involvement since making the movie because he's oh he had such a terrible time that he was just like it was his first feature about this movie. (laughs) He he came into the studio system after being a very 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 big name in music videos. Like he did the Vogue video for Madonna. Um, so many. Oh God, I can't think of uh, a handful off the top of my head at the moment. But he is uh, he came in very young director. I think he was like twenty six even maybe. Uh, and they just kind of stomped all over him and like used their power and he fought back a lot. Uh, but at the end of the day, Fincher is like, I think he talked about it recently. He talked about it recently in empire magazine because they interviewed him for the killer. And he had one quote about alien three. And it was about the shot that has become so iconic in the alien franchise, which is, he calls it the filing cabinet mouth, uh, on the Xenomorph, so in the final, like that shot of rid of Ripley against the wall, and you see it come out and like almost bite her. It's dripping wet, and it's like, and it's so interesting that that has become like I would say that's one of the most iconic shots of this franchise. I think so. I think absolutely. And it's I feel like people connect that with Alien more than Alien Three, or even Aliens in some ways more than Alien Three. I feel like they look at it, they go, oh, that's from Alien. And it's like, no, it's interesting that it's from this movie that the director has now just recently said, he goes, it wasn't supposed to look like that at all. He came and he said, he goes, they were supposed to be entirely in silhouette. You're supposed to get this very beautiful, like sunburst behind them or this weird white sunburst behind them from the lighting. And you're supposed to see it only in silhouette. And he's like, and we couldn't even get that right. Uh, And (laughs) so he has completely, Fincher has completely divorced himself from from Alien 3, which I think uh, he did a pretty good job on, despite getting railroaded at every turn, it sounds like, by Fox executives. Yeah. Um, It's, there's a lot of good in Alien 3. Um, There's a lot of weird in it too. And I do think that the theatrical cut, um, the the assembly cut, while unfinished, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like unpolished, I guess is what I should say. Unpolished. Yeah, um, is, I want to go back and cut it too. I feel like you can. I feel like there is a cut between those two that really does work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very simple things that you can get rid of. Like you, I mean, like instead of the dog, you keep the ox. But that's like I, I can't get into this. I'll look for my edit of Alien Three. In two years, <laughs> the supplemental material the supplemental. to your timeline video <laughs> <laughs> and this podcast. Um, yeah. So like, but. 
in, in as far as uh, Sigourney Weaver was concerned, that was she was done. That she was, was the done. end of it. She didn't want to do any more. And then a decade goes by. Mm-hmm. And they have an interest, and she so she wanted to be done with Ellen Ripley. And I think one of the most interesting things about Alien Resurrection, and is maybe one of the reasons why people don't like it. I mean, other than the weird Frenchness of it, mm-hmm. um, is that she's not Ellen Ripley. She is no. a clone, an alien hybrid clone of Ellen Ripley. Yes, the, the like sixteenth edition or whatever. Because the there's that version, yeah, Ripley yeah. eight. Um, which there's two very interesting things is, and this could be just like a comment on infinity, but like Ripley eight as well as David eight. Cause oh, the sure. generation of David that we get in Prometheus is the eighth generation of David. So uh, know, yeah. just small little things with like the idea of like, uh, immortality and, and infinity, uh, through mm-hmm. these characters, because it's like, we don't know anything about Ripley age genetics. Like, uh, they, yeah, they clone her like other than she has like sharp claws and acid blood. Yeah. Um, but it's still she, red blood, but it's, it's still acid. red. It's acid. Yeah. Um, she can take like a barbell to the face, uh, loves basketball, loves basketball. <laughs> she and snake Plissken need to have a <laughs> one-on-one <weird> match. <laughs> that is a reference to escape from LA. Yes. Where the- they have a very long free throw shooting scene with Kurt Russell where he guess I guess he was like, I want to work on my, my outside jumper. And John Carpenter was like, okay, <laughs> rather than a, a barbarian, like rather uh, than fighting ox Baker in a yeah. wrestling ring with <laughs> spiked bats. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think resurrection, that's one I've seen quite a few times. I think the ending is just so wild with the, the baby alien and it, it, it does get real stupid. It I gets mean, there's so some parts. stupid. It gets really, really dumb. Um, Mama. like you may as well. <laughs> you know, and like that's, yeah, we'll God, good Lord. Um, and the, there's also, that's another thing that has two endings, uh, that mm. are kind of exactly the same but also different because an alien it happened it's so funny that happened twice in a row because you get the assembly cut with alien three and both versions in that ripley dies in both mm-hmm. it's not like she flies away and escapes and goes into hiding or anything like that in the theatrical version she jumps into the furnace and like the chest burster explodes out of her chest and she catches it like right before it, and then they both go into the furnace and then in the assembly cut she just goes into the furnace below to kill the xenomorph inside her uh, and then in Alien Resurrection, you have the theatrical version where they go to Earth. Um, in case you haven't seen Alien Resurrection, uh, the United States uh, military systems uh, got blood samples from Ripley when she landed on Fury One Six One. Like, and also this takes place two hundred years later. Yeah, some some yeah, crazy amount of time later. Crazy amount of time later. It's like two hundred. I I literally just did a whole video on this. I don't know the exact year, but it is two hundred plus. <laughs> you have it's too like, many numbers and dates. I have and too names. many numbers floating around. Um, but they end up cloning Ripley along with the xenomorph that was inside her when she died. So then they box that up uh, because, like, with everything, uh, they're always trying with. And it's not even the company anymore. This is the military essentially in resurrection. It's no longer Wayland Yutani. Uh, in this is only in the special edition, but you find out Wayland Yutani was bought out by Walmart like ten mm. like a decade or so before the events of Alien Resurrection, so they don't exist anymore. Or they exist, but like in a weird like they got purchased by Walmart kind of way, right? Uh, so then they they also bring on a pirate ship that is that has like I said Ron Perlman, Winona Ryder, uh, Michael Wincott. 
who bring a whole shipment of, I think they're prisoners, I believe, uh, onto the ship just so the science team on the USM Auriga can like put yeah. face huggers onto them. It's like a terrible plan, like from start to finish. <laughs> like it's the worst plan where they're like, they've had so long, they've had over 200 years to analyze and study this creature, which they clearly know about. Like it's, there be there becomes points like even like back during aliens like it's clear that Wayland Yutani has some kind of idea about what a xenomorph is or like what it's capable of. One because like and even in alien they're like losing crew members and all these like mining facilities and all this stuff. Um, it's I completely forgot where I was going with that shit. <laughs> I think you were talking about the plot of the movie. <laughs> did you I, did I, you disprove like I said like yeah. I said resurrection every now and again i'll be like what what is going on what's going on um, in that movie it, it also the, becomes the poseidon adventure at a it becomes point. the poseidon adventure there's <laughs> aliens swimming in water yeah. which we didn't know was a thing um uh it's got a great dominic pinon line delivery where um joss whedon wrote uh the script for alien resurrection which he's not a fan of that movie um he uh hates it um sure but who cares? Uh, <laughs> Ultimately, who cares? There's a line where Dominic Pignon's character is like comes back and is clearly alive and hasn't been killed by a xenomorph on the ship. And the line, I'm sure, was supposed to be delivered like, who'd you expect? Santa Claus? Like as the door opens. But Dominic Pignon uh, learned all of his lines phonetically and doesn't speak English. So the delivery we get is, what'd you, who'd you expect? Santa Claus? As he rolls through a door. <laughs> In his cyber wheelchair. <laughs> and it's just something that brings me so much joy. Where he's like, who'd you expect, Santa Claus? It's, it's, it's great. It's very fun. Um, but yeah, essentially, they, the Auriga tries to clone aliens and it all goes bad. And then the Ripley 8 and the pirates that are still alive end up going to Earth. And in the theatrical version, Earth is like, in the movie, like, John or Ron Perlman's character mentions that Earth is like a shithole. And everyone, like, when they hear they're heading towards Earth, gets, like, real, like, ugh, no, like, about it. And in the theatrical version, there is a beautiful, lush, like, beach they, like, end up on that they're looking over. And the special, and the special edition version is they land in just, like, a completely bombed out, like, apocalypse, like, Paris. Like they both, right. they both, and they both literally end with the same line, which is I'm a stranger here myself, which is what Ripley says at the end of both movies. Ripley right. says at the end of both movies. Um, I, that's, I maybe take the theatrical over the special edition. I don't know. Well, that way there's at least one movie that has like a sustainable happy ending. <laughs> there's a sustainable happy ending and maybe something to go off of, which I guess what Blomkamp was kind of thinking of. Yeah. So. Well, no, Blomk. Yeah, Blomkamp was, was going be, to was do. His gonna complete, was he going to be like a David Gordon Green and completely yes. like okay? He was going to Thank undo three and four, um, and do what happened to all the everybody from Aliens mm-hmm. uh, who lived. What happened next after that? Um, and then that didn't happen because Ridley Scott wanted to come back and make yeah. an alien movie. And then, so we're going to skip alien versus predators because those are stupid movies and don't actually, they're not really alien movies. Those are they're much more not, predator despite, movies. Yeah. Despite, and I say this in the video that's coming out, like despite all the Whalen that is all Whalen is alien everywhere in that predator. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, Cause also Lance Henriksen is playing another Bishop, but he's playing Charles Bishop Whalen, not Charles Bishop, Bishop. Whalen. Yeah. Um, because in Alien 3, he's just Charles Bishop. Uh, yeah. 
or Michael Bishop, and then in Alien in Alien vs. Predator, he's Charles Bishop Whalen, who doesn't exist at all in the Alien universe, uh, no. like canonically. Uh, AVP is uh, AVP is fun. Alien vs. Predator Resurrect uh, uh, Requiem, Requiem is a, a, a un- disgusting, un- unwatchable mess. <laughs> film. An unwatchable <laughs> film simply because it is too dark to see anything happening. Yeah. Uh, um, then in 2012, Ripley came back. Ridley came back. That's the other thing about this franchise. Is I know. It has two you got a Ridley and a Ripley. It has a creator and a character who are just one letter apart from each other. And they <laughs> named one of the main villains in Super Metroid Ridley. Yeah. But it's an it. alien looking creature. Yeah. Come on, guys. Um, yeah. So Prometheus. And I could not have been more excited for Prometheus. I was really the, jazzed the for Prometheus. The teaser trailer for it is the same exact, like, beat for beat of one of the alien uh teasers which mm-hmm. is the you see images through the letters in the title yeah. as it like fades back and so eventually like come and there's like escalating like high-pitched sirens and like the music gets really intense and it's mm-hmm. it looks really terrifying yeah and <laughs> Prometheus has this wild highfalutin idea about like, let's see what, I mean, for years and years and years and years, Ridley Scott has been talking about how much he liked the, uh, the space jockey aspect of the first yeah. alien, which I do too. I think it's so weird and creepy, it's like a the very... kind of cosmic horror aspect of yeah. like what happened here, the derelict spaceship and all that stuff. Um, and then what, it, what happened to those, those, you know, creatures, like what happened to that guy and all that stuff. And then he lied to us. Yeah, he lied to us. <laughs> well, did so it's the other question of did he lie to us or did Damon Lindelof get uh, a little too caught up in everything? Which I guess at the end of the day, Ripley Ridley Scott is the director of the project and right. he has his right. own input. Um it yeah, definitely he, seemed to me that he was much more interested in Ridley Scott was much more interested in basically revisiting Blade Runner much more yes. than revisiting Alien because yes, he was the David aspect where you know him basically being a replicant he's a robot yeah um, same way that Ash and Bishop are uh, he's way more interested in that stuff than he is actually the Alien stuff I, and I I think that's why the David stuff works the best in between yeah. those two movies 100%. is because it's clearly like he was like this is this is interesting and fun I want to keep working with Fassbender who's just being weird. Um, and give like maybe one of the best portrayals of multiple types of robot of, of androids because mm-hmm. David's a great performance. I think is I think David is one of the great terrifying villains of like cinema, especially mm-hmm. at the end of Covenant. Um, but then also his Walter performance, I really enjoy. I find Walter to to be very fun. Yeah, I like Walter too. You made, you made them uncomfortable, like his weird, like the fact that the Walter model went from British like posh voice to just uh like weird breathy detective like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was actually legit I mean, spoilers for alien covenant but i was legitimately sad at the end of that movie when you find i mean we yeah. kind of saw it coming of course but like where david kills walter and like mm-hmm. pretends to be walter and it's just yeah. like to get off the planet it's just like oh man i liked walter love walter uh but prometheus prometheus i i went back so i watched prometheus when it came out and theaters um oh the other thing we mentioned it really quick uh prometheus also came out at a time where like social media and um like youtube were like really in full effect in terms of promotion or at least maybe they were one of the first ones to do this but like the david introduction like happy birthday david like shorts as well as the this gives you a big idea of how uh how 2012 it was that 
Peter Whalen is doing a TED talk. Oh yeah. <laughs> and not like just his own conference, even though like at this part of the timeline, he is like a billionaire. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he's doing a TED talk is very funny and very 2012. Cause that was like right before people stopped caring about TED talks. Yeah. And now anybody can do a TED talk. Oh, also another, yeah, anyone can do one. Also, uh, David is powered by Verizon Fios. That, I forgot I'm about not, that That part. is That is a legit thing about David is that he is powered by Verizon Fios, which makes no fucking sense. It was just clearly like marketing. Of course. Uh, and but it's just very funny that they were like, and this hyper-intelligent synthetic man is powered by the same thing that runs uh, ESPN to your TV <laughs> is the same thing uh, that runs motion smoothing to your parents' TV that you have to turn off. That's, <laughs> that's what runs our synthetic man. Yeah. Well, and that was the big thing about that is it was just like, they said it too far in the past of the future. If that makes sense. Like um, the Dave, the Whalen Ted talk, uh, which was the video released in 2012, the Whalen Ted talk is set in 2023. Except now yeah so he's in long beach california in 2023 the year we in currently talking about synthetic synthetic people um i mean we are talking it, about ai this year a lot though we are and that but it i think because then it's it's the prometheus of it all is very interesting because you get those little things that that started to come out and no one remembers this at all i'm sure but then it's like okay what's whaling now oh we jump 70 something fucking years now he's this weird old man yeah, and then uh, they freeze themselves, and then they jump however long into the future to go to the planet. And like, it's just it is two years to get to LV two two three because they leave on the they leave on twenty ninety one. Uh, they leave in twenty ninety one, and they arrive on the orbit of LV two two three on March in March of twenty ninety three. So they're in they're in hypersleep for two years. So here's my question about that. Yeah why you need to freeze for that doesn't seem that long to me i mean two years on a ship with uh, yeah, but it's a big ship it's got a lot of stuff on it yeah i think it's i think it's i know i would go into hypersleep yeah i don't know two years two years two years on a ship but it's not like it's not like a rowboat like you no, like you have plenty it, of space it's a it's a scientifically the starship enterprise like the best, you know. the best place on the ship also another reason why they didn't do that another reason why they didn't do cryo is because peter whalen was like 103 or something when well, they that's i mean he can absolutely so yeah. they froze him um but it's like the only nice place on the ship too is like meredith vicker's office like that's true it is pretty uh, bad and she's and that's a character that no one likes interacting with other than uh the idris elba's character yeah um but yeah, Meredith Vickers, who we're introduced to immediately doing push-ups as soon as she gets out of cryo. <laughs> I mean, we're and we're back to the very unsubtle nature of these movies. With of these this. movies, I, I think Prometheus is a a beautiful looking movie, but it is a hot mess. Like it's it's a mess of allegory and religion. I think through a lot of it, and also you have all that tied with. Uh, I'll say it's a mess of allegory and religion and like religious, uh, iconography, especially like there's so much stuff of just like David washing Wayland's feet. Like when he wakes up oh, out of for sure. I mean, yeah. like even the Christmas trees and 
uh, Shaw putting yeah. her cross back on at the end. And even David's like, even after all this, like it's so it's, it's not surprising that Damon Lindelof's next thing was the leftovers like immediately after <laughs> right. this movie. Uh, he still had a lot of stuff to work out. It seemed yeah. like um, the, the thing I like about Prometheus is I think the adding to the lore I find interesting and learning about the engineers is all kind of interesting and weird and different and fun. Um, I think it's just done through the lens of a crew of dummies is the big issue is everyone on the Prometheus mission, aside from like two of them are absolute idiots. Like Rafe Spall's character, like just reaches out to touch an alien worm and it breaks his arm and kills him. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Holloway here is like, Oh, the air is breathable and immediately takes his helmet off. Uh, like fucking uh, Sean Harris's character, the geologist, I forget his character's name. That's the other thing is like they don't the as you go, the character recognition of the like the names you know, like yeah, get harder and harder. Like I could, it's like it's Parker, Brett, Ripley, Dallas, uh, Lambert, uh, Lambert, Ash, Jones, and then it's like Burke, Ripley. Uh, Hicks, Hudson, Vasquez, Drake, Apone, Pharaoh. Like, you get Where's Bowski? Where's Bowski? Where's Bowski? It's the best name to yell. Where's Bowski? Get in my office. Uh, and then you get to like three, and it's like, oh, it's like five British character actors. Yeah, and then it just becomes actor names. And Charles afterwards, it's just actor names Charles S. Dutton, Charles Dance, Charles Muscle Ralph Brown. That's all you say. Yeah, and then same for um, resurrection. Resurrection, it's not even that. It's like the guy from CSI. <laughs> Cher's dad from Clueless. Like, <laughs> yeah. Not everybody knows who Dan Hedaya is. No. And, then, um, and it's like you get to Prometheus. And it's like, okay, Shaw I got and I got David. And it's like, and Vickers and that's. I wouldn't have remembered Vickers. Holloway I maybe would have remembered. Holloway and. Uh, I think I think Sean Harris's name is like, I'm not going to look it up. Like, like Fern or something like that. It's like. It, He's very big. It's something he's silly. The, he's the geologist on the. He's the, on the punk mission. rock geologist. But like Benedict Wong's in that movie, and I cannot yep, tell you his about name. Him. Uh, like I, don't I know, couldn't right? name other than Walter and uh, David. I could not name one character from. Uh, I uh, know two, there's th- three I can pull. There's Tennessee, which is uh, Danny McBride's character, uh, who is the one pilot. There's Catherine Daniels, who's Catherine Watterson's character okay. kind of the lead of that movie right um and then uh billy crudup plays chris orem who's becomes the captain and i only know that because he is an absolute fucking idiot and that i like made yeah. sure to write he is maybe the word the dumbest person in the alien franchise is chris and orem. he could not have died fast enough as far as i was concerned i love billy crudup but boy that character it's was so stupid so stupid and i know um uh my my partner when that movie came out went and interviewed a bunch of people on set and and interviews that never came they were never came out essentially like all this behind the scenes stuff that was never published um and there was definitely a lot more going on with those characters especially i wondered i wondered about that like he specifically said in these uh unseen interviews uh with uh that he's like this character is very religious he has all this thing about like all these like mixed emotions about traveling to space and all this uh and it's like none of that comes through in the movie like you don't get anything from chris orham other than like right before he dies he asked david he's like what are you why did you do this and then like his chest explodes uh and a predomorph comes out of his chest which is not a xenomorph despite 
how identical the alien in Covenant looks to the Xenomorph. It is technically not as a Predomorph. Uh, That was the other thing about those movies that, like, obviously they all wanted to explore the engineering aspect, engineer's aspect of it. Yeah, the The pathogen, all that weird stuff. Yeah. But it's so many steps removed before you get to Xenomorph that it's like the the average person's not going to like and didn't. And we're just like, what? Like, there's no no aliens in this. Like the the big surprise ending of of Prometheus is when out of the engineer comes a whatever that thing is. I forget what even that's called. There's the trilobite. The trilobite is the big squid alien. That's the snake thing. Yeah. With that, that she, uh, which also um, this hyper advanced surgery bed does not understand female anatomy is one of the dumbest things. There's so much stupid about those movies. It's 2093 and you have a bed that can do any type of surgery. And then it's like cesarean. It's like, I can't do that. I've never heard of such a thing. I only do men science like that. It's 2093. That was, that was very stupid. It's so dumb. Man um, science. <laughs> yes, I do man science. So stupid. Um, yeah, then uh, you have like the weird little alien that kind of looks like a xenomorph, but also kind of looks like the helmets that like the Empire wears when they're turning on the Death Star. You know those guys? Yeah. Well, I was going to say he looks like one of the pod racers from episode one. Who oh, like, uh, and then it uh, crashes. Rats Terrell? No. Maybe. Oh, I used to remember all their names. Um, check in next week when we talk about pod <laughs> racing on <laughs> We break down the pod race scene <laughs> shot by shot. Uh, when I start talking about my favorite racer, Mahonic. <laughs> <laughs> I like Odie Mandrell personally. Odie Mandrell. Who's the one? Ah, never mind. But yeah, then the Prometheus. Prometheus wraps up on like kind of a... And then it was pretty quick that they jumped into Covenant because then he it took a while to come out, but they announced that they were making it very quickly. Because he worked did that with John Logan, I believe, is one of the credited screenwriters yeah. who also wrote Gladiator. Yeah. Um, one of his go-to so he's worked guys. with Ridley because Lindelof did yeah. not write Covenant, right? No, Lindelof took off yeah. after Prometheus because they think he saw how many people didn't like it. Um, it was a movie that and they all blamed him. <laughs> They, a lot of people blamed him. A lot of people blamed Ridley. A lot of people blamed just like the characters that they didn't like because uh, they're not Sigourney Weaver. Um, the thing that I, I it, people probably don't remember this, or if you're listening to this and you do remember, it, but uh, everyone fought about Prometheus for so long, like internet wise, yeah. for yeah, so yeah, long, yeah. for way too long. Uh, and it's something maybe I kind of miss. Uh, let's maybe start talking about movies uh, for way too long again. So people go see them uh, in theaters and they go, well, let me go for my own opinion instead of, right. instead of having a movie in theaters for two minutes and then they yank it out after two weeks. So no one can actually go see it. And then they don't put it out on disc so that they can yeah. Lord when and how you watch stuff. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, <sighs> so Prometheus ends with uh, Shaw and David being the only two survivors of that mission. And instead of going home, uh, David suggested that he can show her how to get to the engineer's planet, uh, which they do. Um, and David kills everyone on that planet. Uh, like this, they, the, they don't show it, but in the middle of covenant, uh, David reveals that when he arrived at the home planet of the engineers and quotes, the engineers, he just essentially dropped the entire payload of the black goo onto the planet and just wiped everyone out. And now is just the movie picks up with the crew landing there and then meeting the the 
the guy, the most lying robot of all time that everyone just chooses to believe. Like the minute they arrive on the planet, everyone dies. Like five people get murdered. Like three of them have chest bursters of some kind. And then they get to his temple and they're like, is it safe here? He's like, perfectly. It's like, okay. Yeah. It's, I, I would say the, the, the problems that covenant has is like the, crew aspect of prometheus is kind of stretched as just like the overall feeling of covenant where it's just like this whole thing is dumb and there's only one smart person here (laughs) this whole thing was a terrible decision um yeah it's it is a truly baffling series of of choices that the characters Mm -hmm. make the thing i like about both movies is like the weird cosmic horror stuff and like and the weird existential stuff with david and and like you know, the David and Walter scenes are so weird and creepy. And I love the, um, like the poster for alien covenant is like mm-hmm. right up my alley where it's like, it's a very religious looking thing, but it's all alien creatures like coming out and it's like, you yeah. know, mix of Giger and also like, you know, Hieronymus Bosch. Like it's Bosch just, a, it's a nightmare. Kind of like, like Renaissance, like Michelangelo almost like it kind of looks like some like a Sistine chapel, like rendition in some ways. Like, yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. Um, uh, and it's a shame that none of that comes across in the movie. We mostly just get uh, Damien Beecher screaming at people, which I love Damien Beecher. I think he's a fantastic actor, but he is so annoying in that movie. Yeah. He's constantly getting burned and screaming and yelling at everyone. Uh, yeah. And then Covenant ends on just, that's the, the, the thing that's interesting is it ends on such a down note mm-hmm. on that opens up so many questions because that we see the Praetomorph gets created by David at the end of it, which despite looking exactly like a Xenomorph is not the Xenomorph. And then he slightly flatter, squarer head. Like that's really the only difference. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Uh, And then David ends up taking an entire colonist ship of frozen, like 2000 frozen colonists out to a planet that they're looking to colonize. And, that's just left to hang now for like ever probably like we're yeah. never going to get. Cause the Noah Hawley show is not a continuation of that. No, and the... honestly good. Like good. I don't think anybody else should touch that stuff except for Ridley no. Scott. If he wants to keep doing it and they want to keep giving him money for it, fine. If more he power wants to, to him, but come back at 90 and make another, uh, I feel like he will. He's making uh, the, the answer to your question posed a million years ago was gladiator two. That's yeah, what that's he's right. making next. Paul Mescal. Yes. He's making yeah. gladiator two. Um, but then it's uh, and the Fetty Alvarez Alien Romulus uh, movie, which right. might just be called Romulus at some point, uh, is taking place in between Alien and Aliens. So it's in that yes, that pocket in between when uh, Ripley is frozen in space. Uh, so completely new. Yeah, who just knows a bunch what of that's like, even going to be. Sci- uh, yeah, they they call them all standalones. Yeah. So like whatever. Is it a standalone if it takes place within the, the continuity? I don't know, man. But anyway, so obviously we've talked a long time and have, mm-hmm. have covered almost nothing. But if you want to listen to Adam go beat for beat in the chronology and timeline <laughs> of the Alien franchise um, and even getting into the the Predator movies a little bit yep. where where necessary and everything like that, um, watch, uh, uh, subscribe to uh, Nerdist YouTube. That should be going up um, as this goes out within probably a week or so. Probably about a week. Yeah, probably um, sometime it's it probably sometime in the middle of December. 
and so you can all uh, watch it uh, as you get ready for the Christmas season. Perfect, <laughs> perfect time for that. Prometheus is a Christmas movie. That's true. Prometheus takes place uh, right before New Year's Day, and you, and then uh, the Idris Elba is dressing up the Christmas tree. Yep. The yeah. Feast of the Epiphany. Exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, um, Adam, thank you so much for joining me to, to ramble on about these movies. Yeah, I don't um, know, I don't know if I said anything groundbreaking, but, a, <laughs> but that's what the video's it's for. A, the videos, and maybe not even the video because it's a franchise that's been talked about for discussed for decades now. But, um, <laughs> I don't know. I just I feel like people should go and rewatch the alien movies. They're all good. They are all good. I think um, they're all that's my hot take is I think all the alien movies are good, even the bad ones. Uh, because they are still interesting. They still offer something interesting or entertaining. It's not like you get to Alien Resurrection and it's just uh, Brad Dorif like doing DNA strands. Like it's there's interesting stuff there's, going on. Yeah, there's it's, it is them. a it is an uneven franchise, but it mm-hmm. is every every uh, entry is interesting and worth watching. Yeah. Um. Uh, would you like people to get a hold of you on the internet and yell no. at you about stuff? Okay. No. Well then why would we Especially do that? Not after, no, uh, <laughs> don't perceive me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, next week, we're going to have our best of uh, TV as uh, uh, we'll have Ty and Roe on to talk about that. And then uh, Mikey will be on the week after that to talk about the best of 2023 uh, movies. So, uh, yeah, fun stuff coming up and then we will have uh, another break for the new year. And then when we come back, we'll have Dr. Who discussions. It's going to keep going to pace. So please, uh, if you want to get a hold of us at the show, laserfocus at nerdist.com. Uh, and until next week, I've been Kyle Anderson and join me then when my guest will be different people that I've already told you about. Bye-bye. Laser focus is a production of nerdist industries and legendary digital networks. It was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Kyle Anderson. For more, visit Nerdist.com.